Well, I have one aim this morning. I'm trying, I'm hoping, I'm praying to accomplish one thing in this message. Tomorrow marks the beginning of a new year. And my aim on this last day of 2017 is to plead with you to make 2018 a year of feasting on God's Word. That's my aim. To plead with you to make 2018 a year of feasting on God's Word. Whatever your past experience has been with the Scriptures, I'm asking you today to resolve to go deeper in the Bible during 2018. Nothing will cause you to grow more as a Christian than rooting your life deeply in God's Word. In fact, you won't grow unless your life is rooted deeply in God's Word. Nothing will cause you to love God more and love others more than digging into the Bible. And nothing will sustain your faith more than knowing the truths of the Scriptures in a deeper way. So my aim today is simple and singular. I'm standing here to plead with you to make 2018 a year of feasting on God's Word. Apart from God's help, we cannot achieve this aim. On our own, we lack the resolve to carry out even the best laid plans. So before we go any further, let's pause and ask God to help us, not only today, but every day throughout this upcoming year. Would you pray with me? Father, we're asking You today to help us. Each of us here who knows Christ by faith, can right now think of an area in which we want to grow. We can think of an aspect of our lives that we want to be different for Your glory and for our good and for the good of our neighbor. Each of us, Father, can think of at least one. Most of us can probably think of many things. And yet, God, we know that apart from Your grace, we cannot, we cannot grow as You call us to. And so we're asking You for grace now. We're asking You for ears to hear Your Word in faith, we're, we're asking You, Father, that You would work in us the kind of faithfulness and commitment that we need to grow as Christians so that You might be glorified in us and so that we might be a means of grace and love and light to the world around us. We do not ask this for ourselves, Father. We ask this for Your glory and for the good of others. But we do ask, God, that You would help us to hear and to grow and that You would work in us the faithfulness we need. Father, please help me to be faithful to the Scriptures. Please help Your people to hear the Scriptures with ears of faith. We pray now, God, that You would come and work among us by Your Spirit through Your Word to the glory of Your Son's name. And we pray in His name. Amen. Many of you probably know that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses in all. The psalm is actually a literary work of art. There are 22 stanzas in Psalm 119. One stanza for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in each stanza, every line begins with the Hebrew letter assigned to that stanza. I mean, it's, it's literary art. But the psalm is not art for art's sake. The psalmist constructed his masterpiece not to draw our attention to His skill, but to the beauty and the value of God's Word. 
You see, that's what stands out as you read through the 176 verses of Psalm 119. You don't so much notice the psalmist, you notice the incredibly high value he places on God's Word. Over and over, the psalmist sings the praises of the Word of God so that by the end of his masterpiece, you're overwhelmed by what you hold in your hands. This is no mere book. This is a treasure. This is life. This is wisdom. This is the very Word of God given to us so that we might read it. And that's the point of Psalm 119. It's more than art. The psalmist's skill is simply the vehicle, the means of fixing our attention on the unsurpassed treasure we have in the Scriptures. So as I thought about how to spend our time this morning, there was no better place to go than Psalm 119. If our aim is to make 2018 a year of feasting on God's Word, then this rich chapter will serve us well. It's here that we find the reason for our resolve and the fuel for our pursuit here in this wonderful text. Of course, we can't study all 176 verses today just to set your mind at ease. I'm not going to go through all 176 verses. Though that would be a good use of our time. It just might stretch our children's ministry teachers a bit if we did 176 verses. Instead, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow Psalm 119 as a whole to make the case why we should feast on Scripture in 2018. I read through the entire psalm this week, and I tried with God's help to condense the teaching of the psalm on God's Word, to condense condense that down to five characteristics. Five characteristics of the Scriptures from Psalm 119. So we're going to consider a few verses related to each characteristic, and my prayer is that through our time together, God would use His Word to compel us and encourage us to go deeper in the Scriptures in 2018. So you'll want to have your Bible open because we're going to be moving kind of back and forth across the psalm throughout the message. And with that, let's let's get to work. Characteristic number one. The Word of God is an anchor in this world adrift in error. The Word of God is an anchor in a world adrift in error. Imagine a ship sailing across an ocean, but doing so in the midst of a violent storm. The winds are howling, the seas are raging, and however much the captain tries, the ship is tossed to and fro, it's helpless against the storm. That image is a good picture of life in this world. Left to itself, humanity is adrift in a storm of error. I could give you a list of examples, but sadly that would probably take up the rest of our time together. Our world is deluged with falsehood. We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand one another. We misunderstand God. And on and on we could go. Like that ship tossed about in the storm, this world is adrift. But into that storm, God speaks. And His Word is like an anchor that holds us steady. God's Word is true. And its truth endures forever. Look at verse 160 in the psalm. Verse 160, the psalmist writes this, "...the sum of your Word is truth." And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Catch the psalmist's language. He doesn't say part of God's Word is true. 
No, he says the sum of God's worth, God's word is truth. Totally, completely, and absolutely, God's word stands as the unchanging standard of what is true and right and good. This is why theologians refer to God's word as inerrant. Scripture is entirely free from error, it doesn't tell us anything false. It's absolutely true. And therefore, God's word is an anchor. You see the connection? Don't miss that connection. Because it's absolutely true, it's an anchor. As the storm of error rages in our world, God's Word holds us steady. Those who know God's inerrant Word are kept on course. That doesn't mean the storm is easy. But it does mean that in the midst of the storm, our lives are anchored by something that cannot be moved. Don't you want something that can't be moved? Everything is moving in this world. God's Word is an anchor. It's absolutely true. That's not all. Not only is God's Word absolutely true, but it's also eternally true. Look at verse 89. Verse 89, and listen for the note of eternity here. The psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Friends, along with God Himself, there are two things that will last for eternity. Human souls and the Word of God. His Word is established forever. It is firmly fixed so that no matter how violent the storm of this world becomes, God's Word holds us steady. It's popular these days to hear people say, well, you better get on the right side of history. False. You better get on the right side of God's Word. It's eternally true. There are no discoveries that can be made that will change what God has spoken. This is how God holds us fast through His eternally true Word. So ask yourself this morning, brothers and sisters, ask yourself this question, is my life anchored by the absolute eternal truth of God's Word? You shouldn't minimize how bad the storm of this world is. I hope you don't. The errors and falsehoods of this world are terrifying, both in their content and in their scope. The false ideas of the culture are more powerful than you are on your own. There's only one thing that can anchor us in this kind of world, and that's God's Word. So root yourself deeply in the Scriptures. Grab hold of God's Word in faith and trust that as you embrace the Scriptures, God's Word is holding on to you. If you were on that ship in the storm, you would never let the anchor go. Don't let God's Word go. Root yourself deeply in His Word. It will keep you steady. That's the first characteristic. God's Word is an anchor in this world adrift in error. The second characteristic is this. God's Word is a delight to our thirsty souls. God's Word is a delight to our thirsty souls. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal once said the following, All men seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. All men seek happiness. Friends, Pascal's insight is significant. God has designed humanity in such a way that our souls thirst for satisfaction. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be happy to use Pascal's word. 
we know that on our own we're missing something, even though we don't really know what that something is. Look around, look around at the world and you'll see evidence of this everywhere. Why are some people workaholics? Because they're looking for satisfaction. Why do some people idolize having a certain kind of family? Because they want happiness. Why do some people tragically lose their lives in substance abuse? Because they're thirsty for something more. And when they can't find it, they'll settle for anything that numbs the longing. Those lives might look different, but they're actually driven by the same desire. The desire for satisfaction. And perhaps surprisingly, the Bible does not deny this reality. The Bible does not tell you to stop looking for satisfaction. Instead, the Bible tells you the truth that lasting satisfaction comes only through knowing God in His Word. In fact, when you read through Psalm 119, one of the things that will strike you is the depth of delight that the psalmist receives from the Scriptures. This is a man who comes to the Scriptures not because he has to, but because he wants to. Look at verse 103. Listen to his language here. The psalmist writes, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Friends, that's not a man driven by duty. He's driven by sweetness. He's tasted from God's Word and found that it's Good. Or listen to how he puts it in verse 162. Again, listen to his language. This is not the language of duty. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Or we could say treasure. You see, far from denying the desire for satisfaction, the Bible urges us to seek delight in the only place it can be found in communion with God through His Word. His Word is a delight. Listen, I know there are days when the Bible doesn't seem sweet to your taste. I know there are days when the Scriptures don't seem like a treasure. I understand that because that's where I live. But we must remember at this point that we walk by faith and not by sight. God's Word tells us there is delight to be found here. So what do we do? We keep on reading. We keep on reading. We keep praying and asking God to give the delight He promises. Friends, this is the difference between a growing Christian and a complacent Christian. A complacent Christian opens the Bible and feels nothing, so he assumes there's no point. A growing Christian opens the Bible and feels nothing, so he prays. Oh, how he prays. And he begs God, Father, You promise that there is delight to be found in Your Word. Won't You open my eyes to see it? Do you want to know what the marks of a growing Christian are? There are two. Faithfulness, prayerfulness. Faithfulness, prayerfulness. Not visions of heaven. Not super spiritual gifts. Faithfulness, prayerfulness. You keep reading, you keep praying, and you do it all in faith, trusting that God will do what, his promise, what He promises. So, why don't you try Him? That's what God is saying here from these verses. He's saying, try me. Why don't you try Him? This upcoming year, make, one, make this one small change. Begin every time in God's Word by praying verses 103 or 162. Make those verses your opening prayer. Ask God to make His Word sweet 
to your taste. Ask Him to give you joy as you commune with Him in the Scriptures. You have not because you ask not, Jesus said. And before we say what He doesn't mean there, let's say what He does mean. Pray. The Word of God is a delight to our thirsty souls. So let's come to the Scriptures in faith, trusting God to provide the satisfaction that is found only in Him. That's the second characteristic. The third characteristic is an important balance to the second. Even as we ask God for delight in His Word, we have to be honest and acknowledge that there are seasons in the Christian life when we experience more sorrow than we do delight. The Puritans used to call these seasons fits of melancholy. I think of the phrase, the dark night of the soul. In God's providence, there are seasons like that in the Christian life. And what makes them so hard is that they can come even when we're being faithful. We're regularly meditating on God's Word, and still we find more sorrow than we do satisfaction. We find more sadness than we do delight. It's at times like this that we need to remember the third characteristic of Scripture from Psalm 119. God's Word is a refuge in seasons of sorrow. God's Word is a refuge in seasons of sorrow. Friends, I'll be, I'll be straightforward with you. These two verses that I'm about to share with you are among the most precious to me in all of the Bible. Time after time, I go back to these verses because they sustain me. In fact, that's what God intends these words to be. He intends them to be a refuge. So I pray they would be that for you as well. First, look at verse 25. Verse 25, the psalmist declares, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now what I so appreciate about that verse is the honesty. The psalmist doesn't just say that he feels down. He says he's lying in the dirt. Friends, that, that's raw honesty. The psalmist doesn't hide from the Lord. No, he comes before God with an honest confession. My soul clings to the dust. I'm in the dust, God. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. Oh, how important it is that we get this point. The psalmist doesn't stop with his honest confession. He then takes the step of faith and he goes to the Bible. Notice his request at the end of the verse. Give me life. How? According to your word. You see, the psalmist knows the answer for his dust-ridden soul is found only in the Scriptures. The second verse hits on this same theme. It's just a few lines down. Verse 28. The proximity of these two verses makes me think that this was a common experience for the psalmist. This wasn't unusual for him. Which is why he comes back to it so quickly. Again, listen to his words. Verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. You see, it's the same recipe. Honest confession followed by humble trust in God's word. The psalmist has made this important discovery. His feelings are not sovereign. The psalmist's feelings are not sovereign. They may be true, but they are not ultimate. God is ultimate. 
God is sovereign. And the sovereign God works to give life according to His Word. So when the seasons of sorrow crash down upon us, we don't have to hide from God. We can come to Him with this honest confession and say, my soul clings to the dust. My soul is melting away from sorrow. We can say that to Him. But, and this is the key, we must then follow that confession by going to God's Word in faith and trusting that through God, through His Word, God gives life. And amazingly, brothers and sisters, our merciful God will answer. His Word does not return to Him void. When we bring our dust-ridden souls to God in faith, He answers and He gives life. That doesn't mean it happens quickly, and it doesn't make those seasons easy, but it should give us hope. It should give us hope. And that hope should encourage us to keep meditating on the Scriptures, to keep reading God's Word. The Word of God is a refuge in seasons of sorrow. So when that next season comes, let's run quickly to the Bible, not away from it. Trusting that God gives life according to His Word. That brings us to the fourth characteristic from Psalm 119. The Word of God is a guiding light amidst life's darkness. The Word of God is a guiding light amidst life's darkness. Have you noticed how many books there are on discerning God's will? There's a lot of them. Go to a Christian bookstore and just count the titles on the shelf. It's staggering, really. And I, I understand why this is. Life is full of twists and turns. And we don't often know the way that we should go. We need help. And that's why there's this endless parade of books on God's will. We need guidance. Unfortunately, however, many of those books don't put the emphasis where it should be on the truth of God's Word. We're quick to adopt a decision-making strategy, but we're slow to look to the Scriptures. We do need guidance, but God promises to give us that guidance through His Word. Psalm 119 stresses this in a number of places. Listen to these verses and catch the emphasis on, on guidance. Verse 105, probably the most well-known verse from the psalm. The psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's true, our path often does lie in darkness. But God's word gives us light so that we see the way we should go. Or verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. When we regularly meditate on God's Word, His wisdom soaks down into our hearts and minds, and over time, our thinking begins to match up with God's thinking. That's not to say that the Bible gives us turn-by-turn -turn directions for every decision. The Bible is not a magic eight ball. You can't shake it and get it to tell you yes or no. That's not how the Bible works. But it is to say that over time, the Scriptures will change the way that you think we'll be able to recognize the difference between wisdom and foolishness. That's what it means for God's Word to impart understanding. It changes the way that we think about the world. One more example, verse 169. The psalmist says, Let my cry come before You, O Lord. Give me understanding. How? According to Your Word. 
Here the psalmist is open and direct with his request. He knows that he needs understanding and he freely asks the Lord to provide it. But notice again where that understanding comes from. It's according to God's Word. Friends, the Lord is not going to guide you apart from His Word. This is how He works. This is how God's Word works in the life of a Christian. The more we take in the Scriptures, the more our thinking matches up with God's thinking. That's how the Scriptures guide us. Not with yes or no answers to every question, but by working wisdom in us. And it's better this way. It's better to have wisdom worked into your soul than it is to have an answer book. Somebody could take an answer book from you, but they can't take the wisdom out of you that God's Word works in you. This is how God's Word guides us. By working wisdom in us. But here's the key, friends. This happens over time. This happens over time. The wisdom of God's Word is a cumulative benefit. Not an immediate benefit. It's cumulative. Which means what matters here, again, is faithfulness. On any given day, we may not discern much benefit from reading the Scriptures. But take the long-term perspective. Think in terms of months and years rather than days. The important point is faithfulness. I read Psalm 58 this morning in my Bible reading. Nothing significant really happened or struck me, but I read it. And I'll try to read it tomorrow by God's grace. Think in terms of months and years rather than days. The important point is faithfulness. God's Word is a guiding light amidst life's darkness. So by faith, friends, keep reading God's Word and trusting that He will guide through the working of wisdom into your heart and mind. That was number four. The fifth and final characteristic is also related to this issue of guidance. But here the emphasis is on godliness. The Word of God is a safeguard against sin's schemes. The Word of God is a safeguard against sin's schemes. John Calvin once described human nature as a perpetual factory of idols. Calvin was referring to fallen human nature Apart from God's grace, we can make anything into an idol. But even after conversion, we still carry an enemy within us, what the Bible calls the flesh. We know this by experience, don't we? How often do we find ourselves drawn into sin, not because of some temptation outside of us, but because of some desire inside of us? You could take me out of this world and I would still fall into sin. Because I carry this enemy inside of me. We sang about it earlier. We're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. Friends, that's the truth of our hearts. We've been redeemed by God's grace. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But until we see Christ face to face, we fight against this enemy within. Psalm 119 reminds us the only weapon in this fight is God's Word. It's not a weapon. It's not a good weapon. It's the only weapon. The only weapon we have in the fight against sin is God's Word. Word. You see this from the very beginning of the psalm. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Listen to how the psalmist puts it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Friends, it's significant the psalmist uses that word guard. 
Think of, think of guardrails along a mountain highway. You start to drift towards the edge in your car, but those guard, guardrails restrain you. They keep you from going where you might naturally go. God's Word works the same way. As we take in the Scriptures, the truths of God's Word guard us from crashing over the cliff of sin. They keep us from where we would naturally go. The psalmist goes right back to the same idea. Verse 11. Notice what he says. I've stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. I've always been puzzled why we emphasize that verse with our children, but not with ourselves. I've hidden God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. Why does the psalmist meditate on and memorize and know the Scriptures? So that he would grow in godliness. So that he would be more holy. You see, God's Word has a preserving, protective effect in the life of a Christian. It guards our souls from sin's schemes. Brothers and sisters, I'm sure this is true for many of you, but I want to grow in godliness in 2018. Next December, I want to be able to say that by God's grace, I'm more like Christ and less like that old person God saved me from. I'm sure that's true for many of you. I know that many of you have that same desire because we've sat across the table at lunch and you've told me so. Some of you with tears in your eyes. I want to grow! If that's our desire, then we have to see the absolute necessity of taking in God's Word. We're not going to grow in godliness apart from the Scriptures. This is how Christian character is formed through the work of God's Word. Sure, God could snap His fingers, so to speak, and make you more like Christ, but that's not how God works. He's not interested in immediate benefits. He's interested in solid, stable character that gives glory to His name. And that only comes over time. This is how God shapes His people. He works through means. And the primary means for growing in godliness is meditating on God's Word. The Word of God is a safeguard against sin's schemes. So go to His Word, friends, day after day, and trust that through that faithful practice, God is shaping in you Christ-like character. That's how the process works. Well, we've only scratched the surface when it comes to God's Word. Psalm 119 is full of truth, and we've only just begun to consider the value it places on the Scriptures, but I, I do pray that it's been an encouragement for you, an encouragement to pick up your Bible and to feast on God's Word in 2018. The Bible is an anchor, it's a delight, it's a refuge, it's a guiding light, it's a safeguard. So let's feast on God's Word. As we close, I just want to share with you one story that illustrates what my prayer for our church is this upcoming year. Back in 2001, I was on a mission team to Burkina Faso in West Africa, and we were going there to help a missionary couple who had been in the area for some time, and they were there to plant a church among an unengaged uh, people group. This particular people group did not have the Bible in their language. They, they didn't have the Bible in their language, so they had to rely on the missionaries to tell them the truths of the Scriptures. They couldn't read it for themselves because they simply didn't have access to it. 
There was, however, one man in this particular village who could read and speak French. So, by God's grace, this man was saved, and the missionaries got him a Bible in French. It wasn't his first language, but at least he could read it. Do you know what happened? The handful of other Christians in that area would get together with this man, and he would read the Bible in French and translate it into their language as he read. And he would just read it and translate it. That process might sound tedious to us, but these people were thrilled to hear God's Word any way they could get it. They didn't care that it was choppy. They didn't care that it was translated from another language. They didn't care that it took 25 minutes to read one chapter. They just wanted God's Word. Friends, if you ask me what I'm praying for our congregation this year, I'm praying for that kind of hunger for the Scriptures in our church. That kind of hunger. The example of those brothers and sisters in West Africa should remind us of the treasure that we hold here in our hands, in our own language, with the freedom to read it and discuss it and to think about it whenever we would like. And so, the question that I put before you here as we close is this. Will you nibble at the Scriptures this year? Or will you feast? God's Word is a treasure, friends. And I pray that our lives would reflect that this upcoming year. Both for His glory and our good and the good of the world around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, make us a people who long to know You through Your Word. Give us eyes to see, Father, the, the treasure that You have given us in the Scriptures. You've not given us a book. You haven't given us words. You've given us Yourself. To read the Bible is to know the mind of God. To listen to the Bible, Father, is to listen to Your voice. Give us hearts that are hungry to know You through the Scriptures. Grow us, Father. Change us. Deepen us as a church. Make us bolder with the Gospel. And do all of it, Father, by rooting us deeply in the Word of God. We pray this, Father, for the glory of Your name and for the good of the world around us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you all please stand? And let's sing to the praise of His glory.